So, Paul, uh, did you enjoy that game? And just to be absolutely clear, look forward to Burnley is definitely not the right word. 100% not. Um, God, it was miserable, wasn't it? I thought we were all right in the first half. Mourinho was quite fulsome of his praise of the team's first half performance, and I was inclined to agree. I thought we looked... Um, we looked quite tasty, and there was that, that that big Lukaku chance, which we'll talk about in some detail in a minute. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but I thought we we looked all right. Mm. Yeah, my, my problem with this is I I wonder whether we're not we as a collective of Manchester United fans over indexing a little bit because it's been so bloody awful. As sure, soon as we get a half decent performance. We're like, yeah, we're back, lads. <laughs> um, and uh, it wasn't really that. I mean, United had a lot of shots, which is unusual. Um, uh, more than 10 in the first half alone. Only twice has that happened before under Mourinho, both against Leicester for some weird reason. and uh, But a lot, lot of uh, long-range shots and shots from not great positions. So, you know, the uh, the XG isn't that high on this game. Um, so it was, yeah, it was better. And I think what you take heart from is the, the, the players showed uh, a little more fighting spirit than against uh, Brighton. It'd be hard to show less, wouldn't it? And uh, a few tasty tackles went in from uh, Herrera and Fred and others. And um, Shaw was bombing up and down the left-hand side, perhaps the only positive from the night, really. Uh, and they looked like a, a bit more energy. And United were on top and had created some decent chances, uh, including... One big one, which all the pundits said uh, Lukaku had to score. Should he have scored? Well, watching it, I thought he had scored. And I think it is completely reasonable to hold a balanced view on this, which combines thinking that if you're looking to be the kind of striker who puts up 30 Premier League goals a season, this is exactly the kind of chance you should be biting uh, biting someone's hand off to get. Um I think it was on his right foot and he's left footed. So there's that. And I think what was really interesting is looking at the, the detailed XG on that shot, which was 0.3, just under 0.3, which means that based on the modelling, which includes the goalkeeper not being in position, a shot from that area is expected to be about a goal every one in three times. Now, there's no doubt in my mind that that does not sit right with the kind of eye test of it you know looking at that chance to me that that if you were classifying that in the kind of opta subjective big chances missed carry that looks like a massive chance that you would reasonably expect a top striker to score but clearly some data nerd somewhere believes that that chance isn't as clear-cut as it looks like maybe that's because it's so wide um, maybe that's because Lukaku's had to kind of carve the chance out himself so his body position's unlikely to be perfect to take the shot yeah um I, I find it hard to defend him too much. He's yeah. a seventy-five million pound striker, Absolutely. And, and we uh, uh, probably expect more. Then again, he's used to missing them from much closer range than that, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, this is this is the the strange thing about that shot. Is it just you know, loads of people have been saying this very tiresome line. Oh, in fact, I saw a tweet about it because I was. I, I did a Twitter search for Mourinho after he'd stormed out the press conference because I wanted to watch the clip. And I saw someone posting a still of that shot and saying, I can't believe Mourinho missed a chance like this. Um, and those are people are going, see, you can't blame Mourinho for Lukaku missing this shot. And that's obviously correct. But 
there is a solid argument to say you can blame Mourinho for reducing his own options and making a clearly still not yet properly in the rhythm of the season Romelu Lukaku play the whole game like mm, well yeah um yeah uh Anthony Martial not even in the 18 uh three days before the Spanish league uh transfer deadline uh, is the France window still open not really sure no but uh, um I, it seemed like a, a point didn't it um neither was Matteo Damian uh who will be staying at the club, but in the reserves, it looks like. Um, neither was Eric Bailly, Mourinho's £30 million defensive purchase, which uh, he's now beating up on. So, um, uh, interesting. Uh, funnily enough, um, you know, the the one thing people don't seem to have been pointing out, though, those same people who are being snarky about uh, Mourinho not being able to coach Lukaku how to score, don't appear to be talking much about Tottenham's transfer strategy this summer. <laughs> what do you mean? Like, well, they didn't buy anyone. First club to not buy a single player in the transfer window since uh, two thousand and three. Yes, yeah, since transfer windows were invented. Um, but the the thing I don't understand is what what that's got to do. What do you mean? Like, so I don't get well, what look, you mean. If, uh, if Mourinho's um, if Mourinho's to be defended because uh, the club haven't backed him in the transfer window, which is basically <laughs> the party line from those supporting Mourinho. How come Spurs seem to be on the up and up? Right, I see what you're saying now. So, yeah, that's a, yeah, get you. Yeah, yeah, and I don't want to sound like a broken record because we absolutely promised we wouldn't do that. But, uh, you know, I don't half think the the uh, the way that United collapsed in the second half um, wasn't something to do with the absolute, you know, shower of negativity that Mourinho has rained down on this club and his team and his players since the summer. Yeah, and um, and that is, it's clearly not working. And also, absolutely, the players, like we said last week, I mean, against Brighton, I listened back to the show and I thought, God, shut up, Paul, you don't half rattle on a bit. Um, but I went through every single player in the team and their terrible performances against Brighton. Now, I, I'm not sure I would feel that way about this game. I thought... Um, Jones played badly and then got injured. <laughs> Phil Jones and Chris Morning made one good tackle in the first half and was absolutely atrocious. Atrocious. Yeah, well, let's talk about um, some of the goals because we talked about the first half. You know, like um, oh, mixed bag on that. Fred was Fred... generally positive reviews from from United supporters. Fred was good. And then Fred Fred played well in that first half. Fred Fred Fridge Fridge. I I uh, I, I uh, ended up watching some of it on a Russian stream. Just very good quality. Yeah. But Russian commentary, they call him Fridge. 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 But they I always used to like it when they cuz the Russian commentary is very flat and very it's like the exact opposite of Arabic commentary. It's very kind of measured and there was like this moment where it was Runi, Tunani. And that was just really, it was really pleasing. <laughs> Both the calmness and the unnecessary wise in the accent. It was beautiful. Um, nice. Yeah, so Fred um, was all right in so, the first half, basically. I want, that's what I wanted to say. That's the only other point I wanted to make. Right. And then, then second half, uh, you're expecting United to come out for more of the same. And it's five minutes in and, and Harry Kane scores from... The, the corner, you know, and and it it all goes 
downhill from there very very quickly so the marking at that corner looked extremely suspect it didn't look like harry kane had to be too clever to get away from his marker and have a complete free header no he's he's just jumped above his man you know great header though by the way yeah 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 um to, to float it across the hair he had a lot uh, he, had he, to... he hasn't died for it but i don't i don't think he's you know saving that any at any point he had a lot of space though do you say he jumped above his man he had a lot of space it wasn't like he had these arms on the back of his man was it no, true. And then Lucas Moura for the second. Uh, nice piece of work. Uh, Herrera played everyone on side and Moura steered it in. Uh, maybe that's some of the talent that Fergie wanted to buy a few years back. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then uh, he scored a brilliant goal for the third with absolutely... Absolutely scored Smalling. Like I just, I just tire. On the pitch. <laughs> Sorry, Tom. Uh, on the pitch. I'm, I'm going to try and swear less this week <laughs> uh, since Tom had to bleep it every 30 seconds or so last week uh yeah i just he should just do gary neville and go that's me done <laughs> i'm just it's, i'm never going to recover from that because he just got annihilated by mora there uh and it was embarrassing i mean for at two nil down united put up a bit of a fight i thought um with... they did but spurs had two great opportunities you know trippier at the the back post who's the other one kane was it no um, it was the other chance deli ali no Deli Ali, that's it. Deli Ali, yeah. Because Deli Ali, Deli, I would, I looked at the uh, the XG map of the whole game, and Deli Ali had a 0.64 um, chance. That's the one where De Gea ended up having time to get back into position to make the save. Right. Because Ali sort of yeah, yeah. blew his yeah, yeah. blew his shot. Yeah, yeah. He should take it on his other foot. But that it? was a that um, was a through ball to him from Victor Lindelof, though, which is a slightly worrying. I mean, <laughs> well, look. I mean, um, I mean, it's a good segue into talking about our centre backs because you know, got and and Mourinho's right. United needed another centre back. The the debate was um, were were the club going to spend sixty million on a centre back who's available for twenty five million in twelve months' time, and for a twenty nine year old with a patch injury record, right? So this is the central debate of the summer between executive and Mourinho. Um, who didn't appear to want to back down on his two choices. When he did back down, he wanted to go for a guy who's even older. Um, (laughs) So you've got Smalling, who's, you know, had a couple of horrendous seasons. Jones, who's been injured on and off for his entire career. There's no reason to think why that's going to change now. Eric Bailly, who, um, you know, like I think most people would have said is our best central defender, but obviously had a horrendous game at Brighton. Um, he doesn't appear to be able to make a mistake without Mourinho punishing him. And Victor Lindelof, who's just never been able to get any confidence at United. He had a decent World Cup, but right now he looks like a pub player, doesn't he? You know, it's awful watching him. You know, he's just a, he's a mistake waiting to happen, not just once a game, but once a minute. Mm. And, you know, this is this is the whole Mourinho thing. The, the whole kind of... I mean, you said in the WhatsApp group that... If if Lukaku's miss was a central defender mistake, he wouldn't be played for another twelve weeks or whatever it was after. You know, he'd be benched for three games minimum after that. And Eric Bailly had a brilliant game on the first game of the season. Was one of the best players in that game, and then was absolutely like abominably diabolically terrible. But to kind of leave him out of the squad like that, it, and especially to... Well, it's, it's, it's making a point. It's a childish point, isn't it? To go to three at the back as well and play Herrera there, basically. 
Like, so you're going to play a midfielder in defence and in and leave both Lindelof and Bailly out of the side when you've yeah, when you've paired it's, them. it's a massive problem. I mean, I don't I don't know whether there's a subtext to this story, right? That there's some other thing about Bailly that Mourinho spotted, um, <laughs> but it doesn't feel like it. It feels like it feels like that's a punishment beating. Eric Bailly does seem to enjoy life, which is probably quite difficult for Mourinho to deal with. To be fair. I mean, yeah. Well, what's he going to do now, right? So his his two purchases, central defensive purchases, sixty million pounds by invest, investment by the club. He's basically trying to write off, you know. Like I'm sure Woodward and the bean counters aren't happy about that. And then the two others, so Smalling and Jones, he doesn't trust or can't trust for different reasons. And he's right yeah. not to. Like, and and they should. How? I mean, honestly, has there been any greater beneficiary of the manager turnover since Ferguson left than Smalling and Jones? Because if one manager had been in charge all that time, there's absolutely no way they'd still be at the club. Right, but but now Jones is injured, so Smalling's definitely going to play in the next game, and and one of Lindelof and Bay, or possibly both, are going to have to play. Or is he suggesting that Herrera is going to be a long term solution at the back? Because I, I think United are going to ship some goals if that's the case. Yeah, well, and uh, and look, it's a problem half of his own making because he's chopped and changed. You know, a few mistakes, and there were bad mistakes against Brighton, bad performances, but that means you're out of the team. So. Uh, I'm not sure this is engendering a lot of confidence now. So everyone's going to be a bit jittery. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's interesting to... It sort of stands in stark contrast to Guardiola and City. And one of the things that's interesting about the documentary which we talked about last week, which I've now finished watching, Ken Early said this on the Second Captains podcast, but one of the things is that Pep is extremely intense with his players after they make a mistake. Like, he subbed Sterling off for missing uh, an open chance, and he absolutely hammered him afterwards. So it's not like this is a Mourinho-only thing, and it's not like yeah. pointing out mistakes can't get results, but there is some sense that, that when Guardiola... Guardiola does it he's kind of working towards knocking them down to build them back up and one thing that I was thinking about Mourinho is that you know Luke Shaw he does seem to now have sort of genuinely invested in Luke Shaw but we'll see when when there's kind of more competition for places whether that continues but for now Shaw seems to be playing well and and I wonder whether it will Actually, Luke Shaw's now officially allowed to make mistakes because he's endured sufficient punishment beatings. I, I, I don't buy it. I don't buy it for a minute, you know. And, and we, we had this uh, kind of fairly cross-purposes debate on the pod last week, the week before, about Shaw. And, um, you know, there's multiple ways in which this can go wrong for Shaw, right? The, the most obvious one is that he makes a mistake and he's dropped immediately. Mm. You know, no second chance, he's done. And he won't be in the team for three or four months after that. Um, but there's also the the point that you made that you know do the old habits, yeah. bad habits come back from shore, right? And the uh, and the entourage gets in his way and he loses focus. Um, it doesn't seem that that's the case at the moment. I think he's put in a few good performances. He's looking trim. You know, he put in a hell of a shift. I thought against Spurs up and down that wing on his own with no backup. Yeah, at all. You know, because it's not like uh, one of the other midfielders was covering that zone. Um, and in fact, you know, for for Tottenham's third goal, he's he's not out of position because he goes to the ball, but there's a huge amount of space behind him. You know, it's so. interesting because I, I was thinking about that game and like who played badly in that game when in the Brighton game you could barely pick out a player of any merit, and I thought Maran Fellaini was almost alone and maybe Ashley Young a bit. But in this game, um, 
I actually I don't think you can really single out too many players as having individual stinkers. The centre-backs, Jones and Smalling, at least, the, the actual centre-backs who were playing both played badly. Lindelof played badly when he came on. So that's a big problem. Um, and then maybe Pogba who I didn't think was particularly... Well, he just was very uninfluential in that game. He played really within himself. Yeah, I know. I mean, you know, a, a few floaty Hollywood balls around the place and, uh, and, and you know, he played into his critics' hands by looking a bit casual. The, the intensity that we saw on the opening day or in the World Cup wasn't quite there. But, mm. um, in the same, and, and a few other players sort of had that. Fred was all over the place and lots of energy in, and, yeah. and uh, created a few chances and stuff. Um, I mean, it's hard to blame Herrera too much, but he did he did play players onside in a really laughably bad way <laughs> for one of the Spurs goals. But he's, he's, you know, he's an attacking midfielder who's been turned into a number six by Mourinho. He's now been turned into a centre-back. Yeah. Um, and this is not... This is not United away at Fulham under Fergie a few years back when Darren Fletcher and Patrice Evra had to play at the back, you know, because uh, it was a massive injury crisis. United have four fit central defenders available um, and then another one in Timothy Fosu-Mensu who's having a storming time at Fulham, apparently. Yeah. It's so. it's it's just... And Axel Twanzebe on loan at Villa as well. Um, it, it, it's a, It's... It's a silly, ridiculous mess. I mean, all right, so I'm quite proud of us because we have gone like nearly 20 minutes or definitely more than 15 minutes without even talking about Mourinho's histrionics after the game. And I'm proud of us because I believe we'll be essentially the only football coverage that doesn't start with his histrionics because we see you, Mourinho. We know what you're trying to do with your little weaselly point point everyone's attention anywhere but at the football so so this stuff- oh, straight straight out of the well you know like obviously we've had this debate perhaps not on the pod but this is straight out of the trump playbook straight everything right from from the press conference beforehand where he turns up early then walks out early um and uh to to that like kind of display in front of the the Stratford end after the game you know which is uh, and and his various um Interviews on across media and on MNU TV across the week. You know, this is all distraction stuff. Uh, and uh, point to someone else. Blame blame the players, right? So drop them. Like you know, analogy with uh, blaming the Mexicans here for all the ills. Uh, yeah, I mean, is it absolutely? He's the most Trumpian football manager. Ever. Yeah. And I mean, fortunately, the field in which Mourinho does it doesn't actually matter. This is why I'm slightly, the only reason I'm uncomfortable with the otherwise perfect analogy is that Trump has people's lives in his hands. But the- I, I, I don't really, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if we found that in Mourinho's basement, he's got a bunch of kids locked up. <laughs> um, the views of Ed don't necessarily represent the views of the rank cast. I don't know. It feels, it feels important. They, they, pro- to say. they probably made in their. You know, under five Sunday league, they probably made a couple of defensive errors, didn't play offside <laughs> properly, and, you know, it's their punishment. So, anyway, to get back to what he actually did, um, he starts off in front of the Stretford end, and there's quite a few people, a, a lot of people, actually, talking about, oh, my God, is he saying goodbye at this point, in the way he picks up the scarf? And I think that was that was on the table at the moment, that might have been it was. But as soon as he went and spoke to Jeff Shreve, he's like, oh, no, this was, this was part one. And I think, I do think because I'm about to absolutely hammer Mourinho for what he did in the press conference and especially the United fans' reaction to it. But um, I do think that moment in front of the Stretford end, there was an aspect of which that wasn't purely theatre in that um, 
he made the point in the post-match interview, after the Sevilla game, they booed us, which was right because we were terrible, but they actually applauded the players in this game because the effort was there all the way through to the end, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, it's not normal for a team to lose 3-0 at home and the fans to still stick by them. And United fans are absolute suckers for this. We love to pat ourselves on the back. We love the kind of, oh, United are so special. We stick by our managers. Even if our team's losing, we don't boo, you know, even though, unless we're in a mood in which case we do you know it's all nonsense but it's it's a big part of the United fan identity I think and then he goes into speech to Jeff Shreves and like bigs up the fans and bigs up the players and talks about how that performance looked like a unified performance and I have to say that's what I was saying earlier it didn't look to me like a performance where the manager's got to go right now because he's completely lost the dressing room no one's playing for him it's a total shambles that that this wasn't that kind of game you know I mentioned Norwich at home under Van Hal last time. And that was that kind of game. No one looked like they cared at all. This wasn't like that. So there was some merit in that. But then, then Mourinho goes and absolutely ruins the whole, any goodwill he might have mustered with this absolute joke of a press conference where he storms out at the end, holding up three fingers and says, you know what the score was in this game? And Jamie Jackson replies... 3-0 and he goes yes and also this number is the number of Premier Leagues I've won so show me respect 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 and all the United fans in the comments on everything I've looked at without fail all going yeah that's right stick it to the fake news liars those journalists those toady journalists it's like lock him up lock exact, him up stick exactly. paradise in prison exactly uh, they are going to stick Jeremy Jamie Paradise behind bars um I haven't read his novel yet, so I don't know whether he deserves it or not. Um, That's a friend of the show, of course. Very kind to me every time I've ever met him. But anyway, the point being, he, he played to the gallery and the gallery ate up everything that he said. And then all these United fans talking about how the press don't show Mourinho no respect. They don't give me no respect. Yeah, why no why respect. should he have respect for uh, what he's, he did 15 years ago? You know, so it's it's coming up on the tenth anniversary of his victory with Inter. Oh, maybe, no, maybe it's well, it was 2010, eight, eight years ago. His last European Cup. Uh, he had the big surprise with Porto before that. And then he had the, you know, the revolution with Chelsea, and two of his oligarch fueled and and two of his titles. You know, so um, and the, the last one with Chelsea was an interesting transitionary period in English football, yeah. you know, but credit to him for winning the title yeah. by some distance. Um, and then he won some titles with... Did he win the title with Real Madrid? Once, yeah. That, yeah, that's, he, I think yeah that's, once. He's got the one. That's almost his most impressive title in a way because it was in the... He, like Barcelona, won it twice in a row and then he won it the next season, which right. I think is super right. impressive. Yeah, and he, and he did and scored 100 goals and 100 points and all of that kind of stuff, yeah. you know. But but honestly, if you, if you take his last two seasons, uh, you know... Uh, there's there's uh, there's a mixed bag of stuff there, isn't there? If you take his last five seasons, yeah, it's a mixed bag of stuff there too, you know. So, exactly how far do you want to go back for it to not be relevant to the job he's doing today? I mean, anyway, he he's got us talking about that now, and it's exactly what he wanted. No, but we we. No, this is the thing. This is You can talk about it after you've talked about the game and pointed out all the flaws in the game. And you can talk about it from the perspective of um, pointing out the nonsense of it. Because I don't think he, he believes it's nonsense. I think he thinks he's owed more respect. By the way, Arsene Wenger won three league titles and Jose Mourinho called him a specialist in failure because he hadn't won one for a long time. And that's like, you know, this is this is... 
the nature of Mourinho's egotism and narcissism and and the, the idea, the idea that the press are treating Jose Mourinho unfairly is utterly baffling. <laughs> no, I mean, he, he generates all the headlines, right, through his, his own behaviour. So, um, and at Manchester United where there are expectations of of excellence uh and and you know f- to to challenge for titles at home and abroad and there has been a significant amount of money spent since Fergie went you know not all of it very good and, and there's an awful uh, kind of transfer strategy or a total lack of transfer strategy at the club but even with those caveats there's an expectation level at united that means that the spotlight will be tough on Mourinho, you know, and I think the commentary about his performance as a manager of Manchester United and, manager, and Manchester United's performance, his team, totally fair. I don't think there's anything unfair in there. I don't think there's any bias there by, you know, some media out to get him. Yes, there's a lot of coverage, but it's Manchester United, the self-styled biggest club in the world, where, uh, you know, with 659 million followers and United won that coverage. Jamie Jackson, who's the journalist that he um, had a massive go at, on this very show, said he thought United were favourites to win the league in the at near the beginning of the second Van Gaal season when it started quite strongly, and like that's that was his perspective. Like that's not somebody who hates Man United and like wants to see them fail. It's just uh, it's ridiculous. I mean, do all the journalists have to support the club? You know, Mourinho said, and this did my fruit. Mourinho said, the United fans are clever. They don't read the papers. They don't watch the TV. And I'll tell you what, right? Um, when you read news media, you should definitely consider, especially when it comes to anything political or economic or anything like that, you should definitely consider whose interests are being served when you consume news media but the other thing i think that you should be concerned about is when someone's telling you not to trust what you see or read like uh, think about who is saying that and what their agenda is when they say that because like oh quite Uh, i mean the thing that's different with uh, the news media from the football media is that we can see the game with our own two eyes Mm. we don't get to see policy making live for 90 minutes on a saturday night or whenever that game was you know it's um, uh, you know, so there is there is a different level uh, of analysis and and uh, uh, and depth required to political media, and we don't get it because it's partisan. It's not the same in football. It's not the same at all. This isn't fake news. This isn't you know the everyone's out to get Mourinho. Um, sure, people might want to buy into it because, of course, football is partisan. <laughs> um, you know. But uh, it's 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 absolute bollocks. You know, it's, and you know, it's just not true. And and uh, Jose is serving only himself at the moment. Th- there are times when, like when Piers Morgan ran the Mirror, and he sort of said publicly that he was right, very anti-United, and would run stories in order to wind Ferguson up and things like that. Because Piers Morgan's a complete idiot, you know, and is obviously going to serve his personal agenda at any opportunity he gets. But that is the exception to the rule. And you know, football media and fake news have a do have a complicated relationship because the almost the entirety of the coverage of the transfer market has fake news kind of at its heart. And there is there is a problem in football media, but the problem isn't that everyone 
everyone's out to get United. Just read the papers. And the thing that happens is people ignore all the positive stories and just point to the negative stories and go, oh, there's an agenda, there's an agenda. That's not an agenda. It's not an agenda that made loads of back pages right that the players hated Mourinho. And it's not an agenda that had, um, the day after the, the transfer window closed, had all those Woodward Mourinho stories. Both of those come from leaks within the camp. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, definitely. Um, and, uh, and you know, Mourinho in creating this antagonistic dressing room where conflict is at the heart of everything he does and the way he manages players engenders that, right? You know, yeah. the club is extremely leaky from the dressing room and from the, the very top, you know, because, of course, Woodward loves a leak. Uh, or a briefing so it's uh, you know it, it, it's deeply deeply political at the moment and it seeped into the dressing room I, I thought Lee Dixon had something interesting to say I, you know hold yourself you know I know that's unusual no no but, he's all right I um, think I but, but you know he, he had a piece he was asked about Mourinho's negativity over the summer and you know is this going to make a di- difference and this is Lee Dixon former player you know multiple title winner former England fullback you know, a reasonably neutral guy when it comes to football analysis, I'd say he's he's not a he's not a Alan Smith, you know, bitterness at the heart of him or a Jim Beglin, is he, or a Sooness. And um he said, you know, absolutely you can tell something is wrong uh, when the manager gets like that. You can feel it on the training ground, you can feel it in a dressing room and it you know, it translates out onto the pitch. I have no doubt. I have no doubt that Mourinho, and he, he did this deliberately because he thought he could manipulate his boss into getting the transfers he wanted um, uh, through the media, you know, because Mourinho uses it himself, um, as does, you know, his brethren in the White House. Uh, and, <laughs> and, and he thought he could manipulate Woodward by, you know, taking a certain line, being very negative, trying to put the pressure on, and it's completely backfired on him. And it's actually got to the point where, you know, I said this on Twitter this morning, I I think the negativity around him is too much, and and the sooner he goes, the better, basically. Uh, He hasn't got very long to turn this around. He's got the Burnley game, which Burnley lost three on the trot or something, or lost two and got a draw, Uh, so not in great form, but pretty good at turf more and then it's the international window um so yeah a few chances to turn it around he's engendered this sense of negativity in the camp um it it's beginning to look terminal i hope i'm proved wrong on that one but i don't think i don't think it's easy to turn this around now from here no i mean i think you called him a dead man walking last week um and i think that was completely fair and i have to say you know, in the in the interest of trying to make the nuance clear, I actually have some sympathy for Mourinho in some aspects because I think giving Mourinho yeah. the job and not giving him the transfers he wants is idiotic. Makes no sense. Yeah, it makes no sense. Now, look, I might personally agree that sixty million for Alderweireld, a player who's not got the best injury record over the last two years, is pushing the limits. Mm. You know, it's not my money, so why do I care? You know, uh, I don't. It's not my money. But yeah, if you're if you're going to go, hmm, you know, does this set the benchmark for all other transfers? You might think twice about that, right? But but should a former banker who's basically our chief commercial officer be calling the shots on football matters? No, 
way, no way. It's ridiculous. So, yeah, I have some sympathy sympathy for that. But it's a symptom of the absolute chaos that is the structure of Manchester United at the moment. So um, um, not only not only did we say we weren't going to repeat ourselves this week, but you did say almost exactly that last week, including making Tom bleep it at almost exactly the same point. So you just can't get through the Woodward chat without a swear. It can't, apparently, yeah. Um so, yes, anyway, to your point, some sympathy with Mourinho, but I think he's made a lot of his own problems. Yeah, he has. Um, before we get into Twitter questions, I just want to mention a couple of emails. Got one from Simon Zambelli, who uh, you called out for his uh, particular style uh, when it comes to Twitter questions. Um, a lovely email. Uh, but the thing is, he said, I even forgave Paul for being Moyes in from the start. When was I ever Moyes in? That, that <laughs> is fake news right there. I mean, I think I at one point tried to give him some of the benefit of the doubt because it seems silly not to. But Moy's in, my God, that's harsh. I was dis- you loved him. You loved him. I was distraught when David Moyes got the Manchester United job. Distraught. I thought it was idiotic. Moyes is number one fan. I, I think. I think that may be some of my fault for spreading that rumor. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and a big, big thanks to um, Gaurav Kulkarni, who wrote a very, very, very long email about um, about uh, defending Mourinho. And he, I'm not going to go through all the points because, but he like picked apart some of the stuff we said. In the end, Gaurav, I didn't agree with almost any of it, but I really enjoyed the fact that you wrote it. Very good. So thank you, thank you for that email. And it, this was this is pages, pages long. This email. Okay, on to Twitter questions. Let's, We've got a few. Let's do them. Oh man, <laughs> there's some good ones in it. Ben Hudson, friend of the show, at Benny Hudson on Twitter says uh, Mourinho would have voted for Trump, wouldn't he? Hashtag fake news. Hashtag <laughs> hashtag lying mainstream media. Glad it's not hey, just hashtag, us. Uh, what's make United great again? <laughs> Muga. I'm glad it's not just us. Yeah. He certainly would. Patrick O'Brien at Norwood Trash says, uh, would it have been worth giving LVG another season to see what he could have done with the kids alongside new signings, blah, 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 blah. No, 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 it wouldn't. Um, uh, we'd have still had the same guff in the transfer market, of course, because that's how we're structured. It's uh, whatever shiny thing an agent throws at us that week. What if we'd signed, um, what if we'd signed like the players that he really wanted, which is Kante and Sane? Like what if we'd sign them? Like that, they, they've both turned out to be all right at the next level up, haven't they? Uh, Did I say Sane? I meant oh, the LVG could have beaten that. Sane had passing sideways. Sorry, Mane. I meant not Sane. Mane, Mane. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I was so desperate for the something else that I was happy Mourinho got the job just because he wasn't Van Hal, but. In retrospect, I'm uh, I dream of boring Louis Van Gaal matches and a manager who I somehow never quite hated. At New Pabora says Liverpool fans believe an age-old mammoth tree is being uprooted and the sage is being resurrected. How can United respond if Liverpool make it to the nineteenth? I'm surprised we haven't seen uh, Liverpool fans with uh, nineteen on it already. Uh, I. I think, I think City might win the league. I know they shock her, they drew against Wolves, but I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but I believe Man City might win the league this season. Just, just a thought, just an outside chance. At Mini Iron Greek says, and I really hope this is just a baseball analogy, not something weird. Uh, which one is the pitcher and the catcher between Jose and Duncan Castles? Um, yeah. 
I think there's only one way to interpret that question, Ed, and it's not baseball. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe. I haven't read Urban Dictionary in a while, so uh, I, I don't know about things like that. I mean, honestly, work it out. Come on. At Badman Imran B says, uh, is Ed Woodward a waste man? Yes, 101, absolutely 100%, 100%. I don't believe that Eric Bailly is a waste man, but Ed Woodward is definitely a waste man. Simon Zambelli, uh, the aforementioned Hi, Simon. Simon Zambelli, says absolutely nothing. He's just posted a picture of an angry bird. <laughs> <laughs> uh, James Bonser, Jay Bonser on Twitter. Massive uh, friend of the show. Uh, friend of the show. Uh, I know things aren't great right now, but uh, I'm still buzzing to watch this again on Sunday. Man United will never die. Come on, you Reds. That's not a question, James. You tricked me there. I see what you're doing. Uh, I'm not ready to get all come on your reds. I need to trash United for an hour before I predict a 4 0 win at Turf Moor. Come on, your reds. Oh, gosh. At Miles Bailey says uh, Did last night's loss go away towards explaining Moo's conservatism last year? We pressed, had a higher XG than Spurs, according to a at Ghost Goal, but our defence struggled without compact midfield to cover it. Um, well, Matic played. Uh, I don't know what a three in midfield is if it's not a compact midfield. Um, he's played three at the back, five at the back, basically, and three in front. Seemed seemed that was a reaction. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't think that that game justified any of Mourinho's conservatism last year because I'm not sure that inherently conservatism is the best way to minimise the number of chances your opponent gets. Uh, yeah, that's right. And I think yeah, th- this is one of the, the reasons, sorry to get into some Marino bashing momentarily. No, you're not. <laughs> uh, Don't lie I'm not to sure that Marino can turn the ship around. I think football's different than it was 15 years ago when he first came around. Now, look, we might go back to a, a you know a second age of Catanaccio at some point. But right now, that's not how the best teams play. Um, and Mourinho is entirely a reactive coach, both on and off the field, you know, and it feels like the age has passed him by, much as it had for Arsene Wenger, who reinvented football in many ways in England uh, and then couldn't cope when a whole bunch of new teams and new money came along. I don't know that Mourinho can reinvent himself. I'm, I'm certain he can't, uh, and I feel like he probably needs to. Anyway, um, at MUFC underscore Haig says, uh, what would change by axing Mourinho versus axing the ducking board of banks? He does say ducking. Uh, This is a great question. This is a great question. I think the thing that could potentially change if you ax Mourinho and get the right manager in, and I'm not in some mad rush for this, by the way, because I just think bringing a new manager in in August after the transfer window closes is just a bit dumb in a lot of ways. Um, But what a new manager could potentially provide is some fresh tactical ideas and some flipping confidence for the players. Because that's the, this is the thing that's shockingly missing. Um, it's just just players performing anything like the best of themselves. I mean, the board question is a much broader question. And, uh, you know, there's Love United, Hate Glazer talk. And there is a bit of a problem in that that's re-emerged now when things are, are bad. But I, I think it's also appropriate because things are bad. Because, like I said last week, structure in. Not Mourinho out, structure in. We need, yeah, we need a yeah. sense that we're going somewhere as a club. There was a clarification uh, briefed out by Woodward about the director of football in that they looks like they're going to appoint a technical director 
difference being they are not giving too much power to this director of football. He will be one of a committee. And, uh, you know, if and when this person comes in, i.e., read between the lines, Woodward is not prepared to give away his power. I mean, the, 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 he's had a taste and he likes it. The better spin on that, I guess, the more positive spin on that is he's not prepared to completely rule out managerial involvement either in transfers. But once you start to have a panel, you start to have politics, it's not like this is not even a director of football coming in who had autonomy. It's not a silver bullet, you know, it's it's a complicated mesh of mess. Yeah, I I, I just hope for some kind of strategy. We've identified a problem. You know, the original Woodward briefing was actually sound, if that's the strategy they're actually deploying. We want a consistent style, and I presume that means from the under-18s upwards. Uh, We want a vision for what our club stands for. We want an identity, and we want someone who can help us deliver that, whoever, whatever manager is in charge. Mm. And the the sense that there are three or four-year cycles of managers, and you plan for those three or four-year cycles, but you plan beyond the three or four-year cycle in your transfer strategy, because you're buying 22, 23, 24, 25-year-olds, that makes a lot of sense. Mm. You know, getting some guy in who's a buffer between Woodward and Mourinho because Mourinho is putting pressure on Woodward and Wuwa doesn't like it much, not so likey. No. Uh, at BRD Dale says, is it a time for a return as a greed and gold campaign? Coming back to your previous point. No, no, I don't think there was a time for it to ever go away because the problem with the Glazers is that they put commerce um, and profits and they are taking dividends and management fees and big chunks out and there's still £350 million worth of debt on the books, you know. They, they put that before um, all of the stuff we just talked about. You know, so for the business model to work fine, a top four finish and a decent run in the Champions League is fine. They're going to keep coining it in. The sponsors will be happy because of the brand reach um, and they never really need to win a trophy again. You know, the, the whole kind of the, time, the relationship between the Green and Gold campaign and success on the pitch is really an interesting one. My well, friend of the show, Cal Gildart, um, sent me a long message, which I thought was really interesting, where he was talking about how when the Green and Gold campaign was at its peak, um, United were still in the Champions League that season. They were competing for the league title, which they ended up losing, but uh, very, very narrowly and uh, could easily have won the league that season. And the biggest um, single protest of any game came in a 4-0 win. So yeah. it's... Sorry, what were you going to say, Ed? No, no, I was just going to say, I mean, uh, you know, yeah, that's right. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, stimulated by necessarily lack of transfers or a lack of success. Actually, the thing that really stimulated the Green Gold campaign to, to start with was the prospectus for the first bond issue. Yeah. You know, which was extremely dull, but basically laid out in very stark terms exactly how much money uh, United owed and were likely to be repaying uh, to the end of eternity. Yeah. And that's, of course, before the last massive rise in television rights which of course saved everyone you know it made the Premier League the richest league in the world by miles and United have continued to kind of put the throat down on put the the their boot down on the throat of the competition in terms of commercial deals also so you know the 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 thing that was feared from that prospectus didn't come and the green and gold campaign had some specific success in the sense that the there was a dividend issue that didn't go out they didn't issue dividends because they were worried about the optics of it and you know all these kind of things but, you know, it's really interesting at this 
point to make this about the Glazers because the problem here isn't and and the problem this summer was not that United were not prepared to spend money because the Glazers wanted to take it all out of the club in profit. I mean, they, they want to profiteer off the club, but um, they've not, they haven't spent a fortune, but the club have spent a fortune on players in the last few years. And they, they signed Alexis Sanchez as the kind of, he's got to be in the top five best play, players in the world. Um, they signed him in January. Like this is that they're spending money. They just didn't want to, back Mourinho and then by they I just mean Ed Woodward basically so right right yeah as I said he's uh he's got a taste for it and he loves it <laughs> yeah. um power corrupts uh and look and it's a nuanced debate clearly and and uh Twitter is not a space for a nuanced debate but the uh, obviously even even when you've got 280 characters and can thread responses now so you can write an essay if you want but your answer that it should never have stopped is right there should never be a time when united fans aren't protesting about the glazer ownership but of course we all get complacent when one or two one of two things happen one when the club wins trophies people stop campaigning and especially when the club spends money on players because people are so and and it's presented as a as a victory you know i'm surprised they don't have an open top bus parade yeah you know, for the new player. But they were basically as good as do that, you know, through various social channels and so on. Like the... Uh, the, So, uh, so at Rodney underscore Cyrus says, is there a real alternative to Jose? I've I've seen this argument a lot. Oh, there's no alternative. What, you're telling me in the world of football that there are no possible good coaches out there? I mean, you know, there's one who's just won three European Cups in a row. Now, who is apparently the favourite? Uh, Should Mourinho go? And apparently has let it be known that he'd be interested in the job. He's not without caveats. You know, I know you'd love him. He's not without caveats because he would be inheriting a squad not nearly as talented as that one or specifically one with that, that doesn't contain Ronaldo, you know, which is basically cheat mode, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and, and so we don't know really how good he is in those circumstances. Uh, I, 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 I would hasten to have a guess that he would, might get a bit more out of our collection of forwards. He might get a bit more out of Alexis. He might use Martial. Alexis, by the way, we didn't talk about earlier. What a turd of a signing he's turning into. Honestly, anyway. as, as I said in, in the WhatsApp, like the Mkhitaryan Alexis swap deal genuinely made both teams worse, which is impressive. When it, I mean, Mkhitaryan's definitely made Arsenal worse and Sanchez has definitely made us worse. He's, oh, he's, and he's ruined two... He's, you know, Rashford's not getting a look in and Martial's binned off to the reserves. Anyway, he's the one question of, he's, was about um, alternatives. So, you know, Zidane's one. Who, who are the others? Well, I think this is an interesting question and it's something that came up a lot after Ferguson went when everyone was basically saying it's either Moyes or Mourinho. So do you want Mourinho? Well, if not, then you've got to have Moyes. And my argument at the time was always that's, that seems completely ridiculous because there are there is an almost infinite number of there are an almost infinite number of options I mean I'm not saying we should do this but you could give Michael Carrick the job give Michael Carrick a go in the job and see what happens I don't think that's a particularly good strategy by any means but it's there are many many options available there there are yeah um uh, which brings me to the next question I suppose um at Nick Gilbert 86 says, is it time to bring back the Moisaya? <laughs> He's out of work. Moise in. Um, all right. Plenty of questions. Oh, one little one from uh, 
He, he won't hear this because, you know, obviously I'm going to have to reply to him in a different media. At Gresson123 says, where do I listen to the podcast? Well, thank you, uh, Jamie. You listen to it on uh, iTunes, which is where most of the listeners here will be listening to it, or on Stitcher, uh, or on Acast, or in the website, on the browser, or anywhere where you get podcasts. Yeah, if you, I've, I just changed podcasts app on my phone. I, I switched from Beyond Pod. So Beyond Pod's got all buggy, and it's they've, re- they've removed Android Auto support from it. Um, and I've switched to Pocket Shocking. Casts. Pocket Casts, which is really nice app. Really, very nice. Really nice. Very nice. Um, of course, uh, if if uh, if you're on one of those platforms, or especially iTunes, you could, uh, if you are Mourinho out, leave us a five star review. If you are Mourinho in, leave us a glowing written review. <laughs> How about that? Just as a scientific test. <laughs> Can we have it the other way around? Because I think the uh, the written interviews are worth more, and I think that's presumably there are more people who are uh, leaning towards Jose. Let's say, as to use the club's language, preparing for life after Mourinho. Uh, <laughs> That's how I feel, by the way. That's legitimately how I feel. I'm not Mourinho out, pitchforks and plane banners. I'm just preparing for life after Mourinho. Yeah, yeah. It's just uh, when that life will come. Yeah. And uh, how quick it comes is the question. Um, Are we prepared for life next week against Burnley? Life with Sean Dyche. Sean Dyche might be a better Man United manager than... Just oh God! No, no. This this is like when you said uh, Allardyce is going to be a great manager for England. No, I didn't say he was going to be a great manager for England. I said he would maximise. Like this was before I knew of Gareth Southgate's glorious cultural revolution and all its possibilities. Um, I said that Allardyce would maximise England's limited abilities and get to a quarter final. I wasn't even dreaming about a semi final at that point. Anyway. Um, Pard you in? No, um, the the <laughs> the curbs in. Um, the, Is he still alive? Yeah, I believe so. I don't know. He's he's interviewed for every single manager's job anywhere in the football pyramid yeah. for the last ten years yeah. and not got one. He says he turned down a few opportunities when he was first out of work, and that's really cost him because he's never been able to get back in. Um. So uh, Burnley, they're not having a very good season. They've they've got the Europa League Blues, haven't they? Big time. They're, they're... They really have, yeah. And uh, they uh, well, they're not out yet, are they? But they lost away at Olympiacos last week, and they they drew with Southampton, lost to Watford, and lost to Fulham. Yeah, and that they got sort of tonked by Fulham, didn't they? Um, that that three one loss to Watford at home came on the back of, and they've got they've got a trip, uh, well they've got a visit from Olympiacos a uh, couple of days, three days before their game against us. So maybe they'll still be sort of tired and sad, and uh, we'll be able to scrape a one nil win uh, past the disadvantaged Burnley. Um, I mean, listen, I, I can't think of anything to say about Burnley that isn't ridiculously predictable. So um, Dyche has them defending deeper than, maybe deeper than any Premier League teams ever defended. They give up insane numbers of shots, but they back their keepers and defenders to get enough blocks and saves to make it worthwhile. The fact that Joe Hart is their keeper at the moment is probably a bit of a problem in that regard. Um, I mean... Yeah, Joe Hart comes in as keeper... And they start shipping goals. <laughs> shocking, a shocking development there. I mean, we've conceded six goals in two games. That's, oh, dear. And every single one of them 
from a defensive mistake as well. Like every last one. We should have given away a penalty as well in that Tottenham game. That Phil Jones tackle on maybe it was Mora was nailed on pen. Like if they'd done a little TV gesture and gone and looked at the pictures, that would have been Penno Central. Yeah, yeah. I think the pundit's reaction to that is, oh, it's man to man. You know, it's just a little physical contact. The VR, VAR would have been pen. Yeah, yeah I'm sure. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you know, they're, they're having a tough time. It's not like they made a whole bunch of changes in uh, in how they play or their personnel um, or their back four, you know. Uh, Joe Hart being the odd one there. I mean, they've got uh, Tom Heaton's out injured at the moment. Uh, Heaton, right? Heaton was on the bench against uh, Fulham. Nick Pope's out injured. Yeah, Nick Pope is out injured. Yeah, Nick Pope is out injured. I knew it was one of them. So they've got three England keepers in their ranks. Maybe they play all three at the same time. Joe Hart is not an England keeper anymore, please. <laughs> uh, but Ben Mee and uh, James Tarkovsky were at the back. They were excellent last season. You know, it's not like they've they've made fundamental changes uh, to upset the balance. So it, it is interesting that this has happened to them. Um, I'm sure the Europa League is playing a big part in this. Yeah, I just looked it up and Heaton started in the Europa League. He didn't sit, Joe Hart started against Fulham and chipped four goals, obviously. Um, but but Heaton had started in the Europa, Europa League game before that. But, like, yeah, it was, just that, it was pretty much a, 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 a full-strength team. I mean, in a way, you wonder whether, whether Burnley's style wouldn't have caught up with them anyway, because you are relying on quite a lot of if not luck, then excellent defensive performances in order to maintain conceding the kind of number of chances and quality of chances that they did and get away with it. Um, I am not confident about this game one little bit. I think if we'd if we'd kept going in the second half yesterday, if we if we hadn't on, ended up getting absolutely pammed in the second half, then maybe maybe I'd have thought like they can keep some positive momentum going, but I'd. I don't see anything. Maybe we scrape a one 0 win, but mm. I, I do wonder whether that Europa League game will play a pretty significant part because you know they've got to turn around a three-one loss. Yeah, Burnley don't score a lot of goals. Um, there's a calculation to be made there because losing three on the trot in the Premier League right at the beginning that can, that you know that might set the narrative for their season you know they might go on a extended run of not picking up points oh you said their season because <laughs> if we lose of course that would be us losing yeah, three yeah. on the job, yeah no, so. no that's true i mean you know but like it, it i'm just saying like there's calculation of your dice at this at this point you know do you really play a full strength side three days before you play manchester united obviously one of their biggest games but just big because of the context you know and if you end up deep into the autumn and they've only got six or seven points and they're in the bottom three, uh, the crowd get a bit testy and then they end up sacking Sean Dyche at Christmas just in time for him to take over at United. <laughs> it's perfect. It's all written in the stars. Um, I mean, I'd be fascinated to see whether Mourinho sticks with three at the back. I wonder whether he did that because he thought Tottenham would line up with three at the back, which they didn't, of course. Um I mean, we thought maybe they would, but but they didn't. They reverted to four at the back in that game, and it was obviously very effective for them. Um, I don't think he'll play three at the back here. I think he'll go with the back four, I guess, with Smalling and one other, and then play, I guess, Fred keeps his place, Fred Pogba, Matic maybe, and then Alexis Lukaku, someone on the right, Lingard, Mata, 
I mean, Mata's punishment beatings after the came off at half-time against Brighton and no part in the game against uh, Tottenham. But Yeah, I mean, that sounds about right. Is a, <sighs> I think he'll go with about four. And that, uh, so, and you know, is... it's Valencia, Smalling, Lindelof so, and, yeah. and Shaw, yeah. Pogba, Matic, Fred. Alexis starts this one. Uh, and, yeah, it's just who on the right? Probably Lingard. He doesn't go with two speeders, speeders, speedy players, does he? So he's not playing Rashford and Alexis. Uh, and Martial will never play for United again because he's hoping to ship him out. The, uh, the saying Alexis on the left bums me out so much. I don't know, maybe he'll come good and this will look really stupid, but he's one of my least liked Man United players ever. Like, it's ridiculous. He's Every time I see him, I just want to sigh. He's been so... Everyone was talking about what a really good preseason he had, and that was super exciting. So I thought, oh, maybe we'll get some like proper good Alexis, but... He's just been absolutely gone. Maybe he was injured. Maybe he was injured in that first game, and that's why he was playing badly. And then he came back too soon because United was struggling. So maybe he's struggling with injury, and he'll come good. But can't help thinking at the moment that it's just that he's a bit bobbins now. Mm. All right. Well, um, a couple of things to look forward to before Turf Moor. Okay. Uh, if if you're of the mind that uh, United might be getting rid of some players, we'll see whether that happens. Um, I, I think Woodward's not going to let him sell the players he really wants to sell, <laughs> which are Pogba and Martial. Yep. Uh, <laughs> France, August 31st. Okay. Spain, September the 1st. Okay. Italy's done. Germany, August 31st. Probably Netherlands or Russia not going to be selling anyone to you. There's some guff in the squad. You might sell them to Turkey, August 31st. Classic. So, yeah. anyone going to head out? Mm, maybe Matteo Damian. I'll go to Turkey. There's a match made in heaven. Marcus Rocco. He, he really wants to move back to Italy, doesn't he? He's yeah. not. He's not going to sell Rocco. Mar- Marcus Rocco's yeah available. A, so is Damian. Well, Damian. So is Martial, I guess. Although Woodward seems to be digging in. Damian. <laughs> Damian wants to go to Italy. Falls under the category of it's nice to want things, doesn't it? You know, like it's uh, clearly the Italian. No Italian club's going to pay the money that United or Heath wants at the moment. Um... I don't know. I, nobody that you really care about. Maybe Anthony Martial will go, and that'll be heartbreaking. But I think that's the only the only one that's a, a realistic possibility, apart from some Deadwood in the squad. Um, and then uh, United women lost to Reading in their second game in the cup, but Reading are in the league above them. And uh, 4,835 at Lee Sports Village, which was considering the attendance when they played Liverpool at Tranmere's ground, was, seemed to be about 15. So real, yeah. it made some noise and, you know, generated a I, bit I of thought atmosphere. that was interesting because there's a few journals who got a bit sniffy about hardly anyone turning up at that Liverpool United game um, the other week. But... Uh, Four and a half thousand's a bloody good crowd. Yeah, it's not bad at all, is it? And uh, United's women apparently put in. I didn't see any of these games. I don't think it was on TV at all. No, I missed it. Um, yeah. And uh, but they they apparently put in a real good effort. And Siobhan Chamberlain made some good saves. Um, so yeah, th- 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 it'll be interesting when the league starts because um, uh, obviously that that was a that was a really tough test for them. Um, and, but yeah, and real good support. That's nice. Um, I don't know what the kids have done. The kids are playing Liverpool soon, aren't they? I seem to remember you saying, Ed, the under-23s. Uh, so, yeah, mixed results for the uh, the age groups this week. Uh, United's under-23 side drew at Southampton. 
1-1 and um, after a, a decent start to the season. Um, and the under-18s spanked Stoke under-18s 5-1. Good. That's what we like to see. Um, all right. What do you think the score is going to be against Burnley? 2-0 to United. <laughs> I think we're going to lose 1-0. Well, yeah. Thanks for the positivity, Paul. Listen, I just... just You know, if Mourinho listens to this podcast, he's going to be ruined. <laughs> Fake news. He's, he's going to... But that's the thing. He will just be like, oh, United fans are too clever to listen to these people. And to be fair, that would... that In, in that case, I would defend his position to the hilt. Um, <laughs> if you're a true United fan, you won't listen to this nonsense. So <laughs> get off and listen to something better. Thank you for listening. Um, Red Mancunian's back... They're only doing one a month shows though, so but once a month you can check in with those boys, so that's good. Um, all right, uh, we'll be back with another one of these next week after the Burnley game. And then I think during the international break we're going to do a questions special. Um, so thank you for listening and uh, see you next week. Bye now. As always, the Rantcast is brought to you by the kind people that choose to back us at patreon.com slash rantcast. Head over there to get involved in our crowdfunding. And uh, if you back us at a level of $5 a month plus VAT, uh, then you'll get a little bit of extra content at the end of each show. This week, we talked about the 1991-92 season. You know, some of the big games against the big boys, not so good. A nil-nil draw with Liverpool at home. Um, but uh, but basically, this was it. Fergie looked like a genius for saying we were going to win the league this season. After the Christmas period, we have a slightly mucky one-all draw against Leeds United, who were the kind of the fellow contenders for the league title that season. And then... A young schoolboy in short trousers, uh, 14 years old as I was at the time, about to turn 15 in the April of that year, accompanied his older best friend who was, a, a you know, a, a hardened, match-going red. So, you know, I was allowed to go by my mum and I went to my first ever Man United game uh, following Ed around, going, oh, where do we go? Do we go here? This is a bit scary, isn't it? Um, and being told I was not going to be beaten up, which is what I was most afraid of. Uh, but United were thoroughly beaten up. Thor- thoroughly beaten up. Yeah, this is the famous uh, New Year's Day after they'd been out boozing the night before, I'm alleging. <laughs> no one's ever confirmed that, have they? Uh, and uh, losing 4-1 at home. Pretty embarrassing, allegedly. No, they definitely... Definitely lost 4-1 at home. Alleging based on Lee Sharp's uh, face and performance.